0: He is risen. He is risen indeed. I couldn't think of a better place to celebrate the resurrection than a reminder that one day all these graves will be opened. That Christ will return and the dead will rise. And those who are in Christ will rise first and will be together with the Lord forever. For many people, a graveyard is, is a place of despair. But for me... And for believers, it's a reminder that Jesus is returning and that he's already proven victory over the grave. And so it's a place of anticipation to a large degree and a remembrance that Jesus has already won. We're going to go and look today a little at the resurrection account in the scripture. But I want to focus in specifically on the person of Peter. So let's step back in time for just a little bit and think about the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus had his disciples gathered together. They were celebrating the Passover together. It was an incredible meal, um, a great time of teaching. Jesus shared his heart in some of the richest teachings in all of the scripture. And in the midst of that meal, there's a conversation between Jesus and Peter that is incredibly telling. Let's look at the scriptures together. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter was going through a trial. It was a trial that Satan had organized, and, and it says that, he, that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. When you sift wheat, you, you put it through a, a willowing process where you toss it up in the air and The wheat separates, the kernels of grain separate from the chaff. Maybe you're going through a trial right now that feels like that, feels like you're being sifted, that everything you thought was normal has been thrown up in the air and you're just not really sure what's next. Well, the great news in the midst of that kind of sifting is the news that Jesus told to Peter. Yes, he told Peter he would deny him, but he said something it is far more important for us to remember. He said this, he says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again to strengthen your brothers. Did you know that Jesus prays for you and I in the midst of trial? Maybe you're feeling pretty uncertain and unsettled by the state of the economy, by what's happening with the virus, by your own health. Maybe there's some uh, trial going on in your own life. Isn't it good to know that just as Jesus prayed for Peter, he prays for you and for me as well. And he prays that we'll come through and that our faith will be strengthened. So times of trial are actually opportunities for us to grow spiritually, for the Lord to complete in us something even greater. Because you see, what Peter wasn't aware of Is that he had an inner turmoil, an inner problem that had not yet come to the surface. It was the problem of fear. Because we discover later on that night, in attempting to fulfill his promise, Peter acts out of fear again. Remember, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Well, later that night, Peter is the one who draws a sword and he, he strikes out at the servant of the high priest, Malchus, and cuts off his ear. That gives us an indication, first of all, that Peter probably wasn't a very good swordsman because he was probably trying to take his head off and he just missed. But Jesus steps in right away and he immediately heals Malchus' ear and he tells Peter to put his sword away. Now, why did Peter do that? Why did he lash out when Jesus was right there, when Jesus, I'm sure, didn't seem to be upset or surprised because he knew he was going to be betrayed. He had told all of the disciples that one of them would betray him. Peter should have been expecting this. Jesus was. But Peter, out of fear, takes control. That's oftentimes what happens to us When we're fearful, when we're struggling, when things seem unsettled, we try to find something to control. It may be another person, it may be the circumstance that we're in, it may be something totally unrelated where we just want to have some kind of control because so much of the rest of our life feels out of control. That's an act of fear. And what God wants us to do is to take those emotions and take those fears And turn them over to him. And to allow him to transform that fear into faith. Into an understanding that God is working even in the midst of the things we cannot see and cannot understand. He is working in a powerful way. Well that's the first indication that we have uh, of Peter's fear. Is that he strikes out, he tries to take control on his own. But after Jesus is arrested... Peter follows along and he goes into the courtyard of the of the high priest and the scripture tells us that he stood there by the fire and uh, he wanted to be close. He wanted to hear what was happening or at least get some news uh, of what was going on of Jesus. And in that courtyard where he was warming himself by the fire, the scripture reveals that time after time after time, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. In the end, he denies that he knows him with a curse. Why did he do that? Again, it was fear. And I think in this case, Peter was afraid that maybe, just maybe, even though he had seen overwhelming evidence, maybe he was wrong about Jesus. Maybe he had made a mistake. When we're in that kind of position, that kind of insecurity, we often will resort sin as well. And maybe you've come to the point where you've begun to deny or at least doubt the Lord because the circumstances seem so dark and so heavy. Well, the good news for Peter is even though he, he did that, and I know he was greatly ashamed as we see later in Scripture, it wasn't the end of the story. Because remember, Jesus had prayed for Peter. He had prayed that his faith would be strengthened that he would, he would return and be able to strengthen others. You see, that's what God does when we go through a time of sifting, when we go through a time of trial, is he actually builds our faith so that we can be a greater encouragement to others. When I look at the evidence of the resurrection, it becomes overwhelmingly positive when you begin to really examine what happens. And there are several things that we can, we can look at that will enable us to see just how powerful the evidence is. Let's look at some of the evidence. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke is writing as a historian, and here's what he says. In the first book, O Theophilus, which refers to the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus appeared to his disciples repeatedly after the resurrection and before his ascension, And he demonstrated both from the scripture and from his acts and his teaching who he truly was. And Luke writes out a historical account examining the proofs of what um, had occurred in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then what happened in the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. The scripture reveals that at one point, Jesus appeared to over 500 individuals at one time in 1 Corinthians, that's recorded. And so the evidence of Jesus was incredible in his appearances to the disciples. But but what if you're a little more skeptical? Say, okay, well, maybe that's the story that they agreed upon. Um, But what other evidence is there? Well, I'm standing in front of a tomb And this tomb doesn't necessarily look like a tomb did in the first century, which would have most likely been a cave that had a large stone rolled in front of it. But that particular tomb was even more secure than this tomb. This tomb has a heavy chain that's placed upon its steel doors to keep anyone from getting in. I don't think there's much chance of someone coming out like what happened with Jesus' resurrection, but they're making sure that no vandalism happens. But in the tomb of Jesus, the Bible records that that the high priest went to Pilate and asked for a guard of Roman soldiers to come and to um, guard the tomb. That guard may have been as many as 16 battle-hardened soldiers who were guarding the tomb. In addition, a heavy stone weighing several tons was rolled in front of the tomb, and then a Roman seal, the seal of the government, was placed upon the tomb itself. That seal, much like what you would see today in, in crime scene tape, was, was indication that it had been sealed by the authorities and that no one could cross under penalty of death. But we discover as we read through the historical account that Jesus did rise from the dead and that those soldiers who who were guarding it were afraid. The stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that Peter and John and the disciples could look in and see that Jesus was indeed risen from the dead. One of the greatest evidences of Jesus' resurrection is the grave clothes Because when you look at that in the original language and you understand the practices of the day, Jesus' body would have been wrapped in strips of cloth. And then the scriptures record that over 75 pounds, over 30 kilos of oils, of aloe, of ointment was placed on those cloths. It would have made a cocoon that surrounded his body that would have dried over the three days and become hardened. And so when the scripture says that they looked in and saw the grave clothes, it means they saw an empty shell where a body had been, and there's no evidence of how that body got out. It wasn't unwound, it was empty. And there next to it was laid the face cloth, the napkin that was over Jesus' faith, neatly folded. That evidence seemed to be enough when we read the account in John, where John himself looked in and believed. Peter went into the tomb and, and was still wondering, um, perhaps because of the, own co- the conflict in his own heart after denying Jesus. But he came very quickly to believe in the resurrection. And so the evidence is incredible that Jesus rose from the dead. And in fact, if you're skeptical, if you will honestly examine all of the historical evidence and look at it methodically, I believe with all my heart, you will come to the conclusion that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, that means he has conquered our greatest fear. For most of us, the greatest fear that we have, the ultimate fear, is the fear of death. Here in this graveyard, there are many names on on many different tombstones. I looked and I found my own name. In fact, I found it in numerous places here. It's a reminder that one day I'm going to die. And if you were here at this graveyard or another one in your own home country, chances are you might find your own name written on a gravestone as well. And that's a reminder too that you too one day will face eternity. You will stand before the Lord and have to give an account of your life. The only answer that we can truly give is, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Who came and offered himself as a sacrifice for me, who rose from the dead to prove that he is victorious over sin, my sin, which he nailed to the cross, over the fall of humanity, and over death. He is absolutely victorious. That's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. That's why it's such an amazing and beautiful day in the life of the church. And even though we're not gathered all together in the same place, we are connected together by our faith in Christ Jesus to celebrate that Jesus is indeed risen from the dead. Peter went through a trial. He was sifted like wheat, where everything in his world was thrown up in the air and turned upside down. But what brought the transformation out in Peter was the resurrected Jesus. When you spend time in God's word, when you spend time in intimacy and union with Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, it will change you. It will turn your fear into faith. It will give you a boldness in your life to be able to obey the Lord to be a witness for the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to have your life be filled with joy, with intimacy, and incredible peace, no matter what circumstance you're going through. The resurrection of Jesus changes absolutely everything. And for me, the greatest evidence that he really did rise from the dead, it's the transformation that happens in the lives of people. People like Peter, people like me, perhaps people like you. Peter was changed. Let's see just how much he was changed by looking at the scripture. Acts chapter 2. These are Peter's words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter, the coward who had hidden in the shadows who had denied Christ in the darkness, now in broad daylight, is preaching to thousands of people that Jesus is resurrected. And this is just 50 days after he denied Jesus. After fear overtook him and, and he, he denied that he even knew him or that he'd even seen him. He denied Jesus completely. And yet now he's completely transformed. But what's more is he not only gives that incredible message there in the temple in Jerusalem, but later on he's put on trial by the same people who tried Jesus. Listen to what it says, Acts chapter 4. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family were there. These are the same ones who were trying Jesus when Peter was outside by in the courtyard, by the fire, warming himself, denying Jesus. The exact same people. Verse 7, and when they had set them in their midst, they inquired of Peter and of John, by what power or by what name did you do this, speaking of the healing of a man born lame? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the stone, the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Look at the comment that it says that the very people who put Jesus on trial had to say about Peter. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What transformed Peter was Jesus. Jesus restored him. Jesus changed him. Jesus made all the difference in Peter's life. You see, What's beautiful is that we read in the account of Scripture that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared again um, to Peter later on on the Sea of Galilee on the shore and he began a process of restoring him from what he had done, from his denial. It says this in John chapter 21, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, or at least that I care for you, is what it would really say in the Greek. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus does a beautiful thing in the life of Peter. He restores him, not by chastising him for denying him, but by helping him to examine his own heart by simply asking him, saying, Peter, do you love me? Maybe you've gone through a trial where you've you've denied Jesus or your faith has just waned. What Jesus is simply asking to you today is, do you love me? Do you really love me? If so, follow me and return to the purpose for which I've called you. You see, Satan sought sift Peter like wheat because he wanted to take him out of the purpose for which God had called him. Trials for you and I, the enemy's purpose is the same. He wants to distract us from what God has called us to do. And God wants to restore us and take our fear and transform it into greater faith. But it requires that we trust in Him, that we follow Him. And as Peter said in his sermon, maybe maybe today's a day when you realize you've not trusted Jesus. You've heard about Him, you've gone to church a few times, or maybe often, but you've never really trusted Him as your Savior and your Lord, the Scripture tells us that what we are to do is to call upon the name of Jesus, and we will be saved. That's the great invitation for all of us today, is to call upon the name of the Lord, to trust Him if it's for the first time for salvation, and to trust Him day after day, especially when we walk through trials and uncertainty and fear and allow him to transform our fear into faith. That's the message and the hope of the resurrection. That's what we see in such beauty displayed in the resurrection of Jesus coming up from the tomb, coming back to life. For those disciples, the day before, was a day when they were hiding in fear. To go out into the public would have meant um, perhaps death or imprisonment because they were known to be disciples. And so they're hiding in fear until they hear that Jesus is risen and it changes everything. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does for you and I as well when we truly trust in him.